All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod. There is another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. It's Todd Feinberg. It's Todd Feinberg. Monday through Friday, 3 till 6 on WTIC News Talk 1080. So, there is, Thomas was talking about, he, he was talking about drinking. I don't know what the context was, but he reminded me that there was a, um, there was a study that came out recently that talked about, um, Americans drinking. I want to find out what you do, like how much drinking you do, how much money you spend, how many drinks per week do you have? Do you drink every day? Alcohol I'm talking about. This study, here's what it, uh, its basic outline is. Americans' love of booze is so profound that the average drinker is content gaining 13 pounds in order to continue consuming their favorite alcoholic beverages. This is about the equivalent of permanently carrying around 208 slices of bacon in your body. Now, I don't want the bacon in my body. I want it on the plate so I can consume it and add it to my body. But I care way more about bacon than I do about booze. This is the thing probably more than anything else that makes me an anomalous human being. This figure, they say, isn't particularly surprising. A study last year found that the average American drinker would even be willing to give up three years of their lives if it meant they could continue to drink. Let's let's frame the question in that way. How many <laughs> how many years of your life are you willing to give up in order to keep drinking at your favorite levels? Uh, more than a third of Americans believe that alcohol and coffee are so essential that they will not give them up. Americans spend a huge amount of money on hangover comfort food and coffees. That's uh, $1,000 a year, but that's a pretty broad category. I spend $1,000 a year easy on coffee shops. More than that. You know, my wife and I go out, and it's I, coffee's expensive now. It's 20 bucks. Anyway, the thing is, I, I believe we've got a problem with um, some people have a problem with alcohol. Other, other people apparently can drink what their norm is, and, and the norm simply becomes a part of life, and, and, and it works out fine. So I, I just wanted to explore this with you a little bit. 860-522-9842. How does alcohol play into your life? How does it mix in? And coffee as well. And does it work? In, does it work out well for you, or do you wish you had never done it? That's question number one. Part two of what I want to do today is uh, I want to play you some sound cuts because I think they tell us a lot about the state of America today. Oh, this is a guy named Charlie Munger. He's a billionaire. He sounds a little like Warren Buffett, but he's not billionaire. He's a poor billionaire compared to Warren Buffett. Warren Buffett has like endless amounts of money, and this guy, this guy just has 
$2.3 billion. But he, listen to what he says. All a huge progress that has come. People are less happy about the state of affairs than they were when things were way tougher. And that has a very simple explanation. The world is not driven by greed. It's driven by envy. And so the fact that everybody's five times better off than they used to be, they take it for granted. All they think about is somebody else has having more now, and it's not fair that he should have it and they don't. That's the reason that God came down and told Moses that you couldn't envy your neighbor's wife or even his donkey. I mean, even the, the old Jews were having trouble with envy. And so it's built into the nature of things. It, it's weird for somebody my age because I was in the middle of the Great Depression when the hardship was unbelievable. I was safer walking around Omaha in the evening than I am in my own neighborhood in Los Angeles after all this great wealth and so forth. So, and I, I have no way of doing anything about it. I can't change the fact that a lot of people are very unhappy and feel very abused. But we, so Munger is making the point that envy is what causes societal problems. This is what causes violence and, and crime, is that people are envious of each other. Because we're surrounded by so much, I think would be the explanation. There's so much affluence around us, so many shiny, sparkly objects, so many people who aren't necessarily rich, but are in a position to create an illusion of wealth around them and a, an illusion of success. And, and think it's important, so they do it. They'll spend a few hundred bucks a month on a car that they can't afford or maybe a thousand bucks a month on a car they can't afford in order to create an illusion for others that they're very successful or or maybe for themselves that they're very successful so he's saying that that envy that we feel that sense of having failed because we don't have as much as other people that that's our big problem, that that is the big problem for humans. It isn't greed, it's envy. Do you agree with this? In the middle of the Great Depression, the hardship was unbelievable. I was safer walking around Omaha in the evening than I am in my own neighborhood in Los Angeles after all this great wealth and so forth. So, And I, I have no way of doing anything about it. I can't change the fact that a lot of people are very unhappy and feel very abused after... Everything's improved by about 600% because there's still somebody else who has more. I have conquered envy in my own life. I don't envy anybody. I don't give a damn what somebody else has. But other people are driven crazy by it. <laughs> what do you think of that assessment? I think it makes a lot of sense. Because there is, you know, there's even a theory about, about economic well-being and stability that the Democrats use, the, the reason they, they use comparative wealth measures as an argument, as, as a proof that, that there's something wrong with our society, the underpinning of that is that it is envy, that, that even if people are doing well, if somebody else is doing better, they feel inadequate. That, that makes you feel bad. What do you think about this theory from Charlie Munger? Does that make sense to you? Is this something that ails us? 
And then I, I also wanted to play some Ayn Rand for you and, and get a reaction. Because I, I just think she's so brilliant. And I'm with her on everything. And I think I'm an objectivist. I think this is what I have to become. I've got to study more. But that was her philosophy of objectivism. And Ayn Rand came from Russia in, I don't know, the late 19s. Is that when she came? I'm trying to think of when she was born. I'll double check. But she came over on her own, left her family behind, had no idea what happened to her parents, came here, wrote those great books, The Fountainhead, Atlas Shrugged. And her philosophy, which is looked down upon by the left, which is the first reason you know it's a serious philosophy that they feel very threatened by. But everything she says makes perfect sense. And, and she had Russia. She saw what happened to Russia. She saw the evils of government. And we're seeing the evils of government right now. Most people don't comprehend this, but what's being demonstrated right now for us is that even the best system in the history of mankind can be dismantled when there's enough wealth there to motivate enough people over enough years to rob it blind. And that's what's happening to us right now. That's why the federal government is $31 trillion in debt and the state of Connecticut is $150 billion in debt and the governor doesn't mention the debt. He talks about how great everything is financially, but it's not because he did anything, even though he says he did something. It's because Joe Biden sent $6 billion. And he keeps doling it out, and everybody thinks he's wonderful. Oh, things are good. Look what we got. So I'm going to play some Ayn Rand when we continue. Because she is the, she is the hot stuff, I'll tell you. Everything she says just rings true. And, you, and you've got to hear Mike Wallace, who does the interview. This is from 1959. And she's telling us exactly what was going to happen to us right now, what we would be seeing now. Or anytime, because she, she was saying the country was socialist back then. Quick break. We'll play some Ayn Rand and get your reaction. Coming up on WTIC. It's the Todd Feinberg Show, live from the NJ Diet Studios on WTIC News Talk 1080. Oh, oh, I'm on. I was listening to this music trying to figure out what it was. <laughs> Oh, I love the new stuff. 860-522-9842. Ayn Rand, writer, Atlas Shrugged, The Fountainhead, two of the greatest books ever, novels. But they're novels that spell out the reality of how the plunderers work, that is, big government, and the disease of big government and how it destroys cultures and societies and life. And that we basically, uh, well, never mind. I'll let her talk. Here we go. This is, and this is Mike Wallace interviewing her. And he's, it's kind of funny to hear uh, the style and how he talks to her and how uh, uh, way over on the left they were. This is 1959. Listen. Now, one of the principal achievements of this country in the past 20 years particularly, I think most people agree, is the gradual growth of social protective legislation based on the principle that we are our brother's keepers. How about that for a setup <laughs> in 1959? You know, it was like uh, Americans had already walked away from the, uh, the Constitution back then. How do you feel about the political trends of the United States, the uh, Western world? The way everybody feels except more consciously. I feel that it is terrible, that you see destruction all around you, and that you are moving toward disaster 
until and unless all those welfare state conceptions have been reversed and rejected. Now, which side are you on so far? Are you with her or with him? He says it's wonderful. Look at all the great things that have happened in the last 20 years. We've got socialism now. And she says socialism is the plague. It will destroy you. And it is destroying us. Says it right out. It is precisely these trends which are bringing the world to disaster. Disaster. And look, that's where we are. We're in disaster right now. Disaster. Because we are now moving towards complete collectivism or socialism. Socialism is the plague. And the trouble is people are given the chance to take care of themselves or be taken care of. People are inclined to say, give me the free stuff. I'll take the free stuff. Uh, a system under which everybody is enslaved to everybody. And we are moving that way only because of our altruist morality. Oh, yes, but you say... Because of our altruist morality. What does that mean, do you think? It's happening because of our altruist morality. Oh, yes, but you say everybody is enslaved to everybody. Yet this came about democratically. I and a free people in a free country voted for this kind of government, wanted this kind of legislation. Do you object to the democratic process? I now, this is interesting because he's trying to separate her or put her in a conundrum where she has to decide whether she's for democracy or not, like she's... Uh, you know, he thinks he's trapped her. But she's not falling for it, and she knows the answer. I object to the idea that people have the right to vote on everything. The traditional American system was a system based on the idea that majority will prevailed only in public or political affairs, and that it was limited by inalienable individual rights. Oh. Therefore, I do not believe that a majority can vote a man's life or property or freedom away from him. So what she's saying is we don't have the right, the plunderers in Hartford don't have the right to take money for things that don't exist, plans that don't exist, programs that don't exist. They, that they just can fund a word. That's what they're doing now. They fund the word equity. They just provide all kinds of tax revenues to a thing called equity without telling us what it is just so they can have slush funds to send money to their voters it's remarkable and and what she's saying is that's immoral you can't do that under our system jamie's calling from middlefield hi jamie hi todd you know great great thing about the envy that's sort of the, the driver of a lot of things i totally agree with it and the sad part is it's being taught to a lot of young people you know, to hate the rich people and, oh, you're never going to have any opportunities is really awful. I just, I can't tell you, Todd, when, you know, I was coming of age, it was $3.37 an hour minimum wage. And uh, it was very liberating to get that first check and say, hmm, I now have freedom. I now potentially have independence. That's three thirty-seven an hour. How am I going to decide what to do with this? And it, obviously, it was very little money, but it was an incentive to say, I'm going to work harder. I'm going to work more hours, and I want to earn more money, all right? But I don't deserve it unless I get better at something, have a skill. Yep. And I just I think that opportunity is just not either desired by a lot of young people today or, you know, I deserve it. I don't know. I just hope that whole, you know, hate the rich people, oh, there's no opportunity for it, goes away. But I'm going to give you a coolage if I could. I, I do this to you once a year. There was one great quote that uh, 
President Coolidge, the ultimate small government guy, said about 100 years ago, and it was, there is no dignity quite so impressive. There is no independence quite so important as living within your own means. And you can live within your own means and be happy with that, but some people just cannot bring themselves to say, oh, they got more. I, I deserve that. I want that. Yeah, but, you know, the propaganda is, as you've alluded to, of today, is is communism, is dependency, is big government taking care of you. That's the ethos of America today. And it's hateful because it takes away people's desire for independence and self-reliance. Yes. uh, You know, once you experience it, you don't want to give that up. You know, you don't want to be reliant on others. And, you know, yes, if, if there's help that's needed genuinely, of course. Uh, our system can easily provide for Well, it, don't we be so quick to sell us out on I that. Know, I know, I'm not That's saying, the we... slippery slope. <laughs> I totally agree. Absolutely. Uh, Coolidgeism number two. Sorry. Here we go. Okay. Um, if people just did the things they know they ought to do, most of our problems would take care of themselves. There you mm. go. I like that one. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many great ones, though. That's a pretty Never good ends. one. I've got a what, – what year was he president? Uh, 1924, he took over uh, when Harding passed away. So we so, have, uh, we must have tape recordings of him, huh? Um, you know, it was kind of before they really had to record a thing. You know, he was called Silent Cal because he really, the, the few times he spoke, people really listened. It was very powerful. It's so much different than today. The bloviators get all the attention. Yeah. Uh, like you and I, but no I'm kidding. <laughs> but that's just the way it was then. And, uh, no, he, he really saw it right, I think, as far as just small government, personal liberty. Uh, President Coolidge, as you're getting ready to leave office, what was your greatest accomplishment? And his, his answer was minding my own business, meaning government <laughs> not being the yes, you know, yes. obese. Not being interventionist. Owner. Absolutely. There's so much great stuff. <laughs> Jamie, Thank that's you great. Know. You have to make it more than once a year. <laughs> Thank you. Have Thanks a great so day. much. Okay. 860-522-9842. So there's a little lay of the land with Ayn Rand, but there's more. And specifically her stuff on taxation, I want to share with you and talk about that because her premise is that uh, that we should not be, the government shouldn't have the power to take money from us by force. There should be no forced taxation. That payment of our money into the government should be a voluntary thing. And, I, you know, Michael Leibowitz used to, run this by me when we first started talking a couple of years ago and and uh i was i was uh, kind of shocked by it and couldn't accept it but it's taken me time but now i've gotten there selling a little or a lot shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business from the launcher online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there 
there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odysseypodcast, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash odysseypodcast now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash odysseypodcast. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 860-522-9842. We'll talk more after news on WTIC. Never miss a moment. Go listen to the Todd Feinberg podcast on the Odyssey app. WTIC, good afternoon. 860-522-9842. Got Wayne in Bristol. Hey, Wayne. Hey, how you doing, Todd? What's yeah, up? I, I, I have a question for you. It says, during the governor's race for Connecticut, mm-hmm. it was said that we had $6 billion, and now I hear we have $2 billion. So my question is, where did the Democrats squander $4 billion already? Uh, well, it doesn't mean it's been uh, spent necessarily, but there, the, the plan is to spend a couple billion dollars in paying down... Uh, Debt to uh, the union workers, the unfunded liabilities that are, you know, over $100 billion. And, uh, you know, they, they're spending the money. So, but the point is they got $6 billion or $7 billion. Not that it's all sitting in the bank unused, but the reason they can pretend that the state is healthy fiscally, uh, financially, is because a big check came from daddy. Oh yes, I know. I know that, but most people don't know that. <laughs> right. That's why I repeat it every chance I get. All right. Thank you. Thank you for the call. Good to hear from you. But I don't know exactly what it's been paid out on. I'll take a look. Sheila's calling from West Hartford. Hi, Sheila. Hi. How you doing? Well, I'm happy to hear about somebody who wants to go back to the past. Very much so. Yep. Um, I have a. I'm hearing an echo. Anyway, I have a clipping of my mom, who used to work for WTIC Playhouse. This clipping is dated January 25th, 1932. <laughs> yeah. She worked with the Guy Headland Players, H-E-D-L-U-N-D. Mm-hmm. She worked with Ed Begley, Mike O'Shea. I believe they were from Connecticut also. In one of the uh, playlets that she did on a 10 o'clock Playhouse program, the title was In the Service of the Czar, C-Z-A-R. Might you have a recording of it in the archives? Oh, I, I thought you were going to tell us you had a recording of it. No, I don't. With my mom. But I am 83, so you can imagine how old this, this copy is. Have you guys anything in your archives at all? I have no idea. We'd have to look into okay. it and see what we could find. So I, I'll put you on hold. Is there anything else you want to say? No, sir. I was on hold, and I didn't know what you yeah. were going to pick up. Well, okay. I'm going to put you back on hold and let uh, Roland just get all that information yeah. written down so Thanks he can send the inquiry through. Because okay. if we can find it, we'll play it for you. That would be great. Yeah. Thank you, Sheila. 1932. Her mother was on the station. Imagine that. 
All right. So the Ayn Rand stuff, I, I think I'm going to be converting to her political philosophy, which isn't a conversion, really, but just a uh, recognition that we're on the same wavelength. Because, because um, she understands that what power does to those in power, right? People in power just want more power. And everything they say is a lie and a con designed to get you to feel comfortable with the idea that somehow more, they should have more all the time. Nobody else, just them. I have one other Ayn Rand thing I want to play for you. And uh, and then we will, you know, I think it's right here. And then we will play some rants and uh, get the afternoon moving that way. Okay, listen to this. About 30 years ago. And whence did this philosophy of yours come? Uh, out of my own mind, with the sole acknowledgement of a debt to Aristotle, who is the only philosopher that ev ever influenced me. Uh -huh. I devised the rest of my philosophy myself. Your parents, did they die in Russia or did they come? Uh, that is not faith. That is a conviction. Yes, I have no faith at all. I only hold convictions. Who are you, Ayn Rand? When I say that, I would like to know just a little bit uh, of, of your vital statistics. You have an accent which is... Russian. Russian. You were born in Russia? Yes. Came here? Oh, about 30 years ago. And whence did this philosophy of yours come? Uh, Sorry, we're going around a uh, second time on some of this, but it, it was just a, a false start at the beginning. With the sole acknowledgement of a debt to Aristotle, who is the only philosopher that ev ever influenced me, uh -huh. I devised the rest of my philosophy myself. That's pretty cool. Uh, you're talking about a woman who came, she came over as a young woman alone in 1929, left her parents behind, left the Soviet Union behind, because she wanted to live in the land of the free. And she was seeing back then, when this was made, 1959, she was saying we were already into socialism, and it was a tragedy. He's just beginning to study painting. He I was see. a designer before. Is he supporting? Oh, she's talking about her husband right now. He, he was trying to, uh, this is one of the things I wanted you to hear. Mike Wallace, the person interviewing Ayn Rand, was trying to kind of trip her up or demonstrate Make her prove that she knew the how to maintain the intellectual integrity of her arguments, I guess. So he asked her about her husband and how did they live. And Whether they died or not. You are married? Yes. Your husband, is he an industrialist? No, he's an artist. His name is Frank O'Connor. That question was asked about was he an industrialist because she was, uh, she, she, they were the heroes in her Atlas Shrugged book. And he, not the writer? He no, paints. not the writer. And uh, does he live from his painting? He's just beginning to study painting. He I was see. a designer before. So these seem like ridiculous questions, but she's, she's somebody who didn't believe in any handouts. So he's trying to show that she's uh, contradicting that philosophy so he can put her to rest right off the bat. Designer before. Is he supported uh, in his efforts by the, uh, by the state? Most certainly not. He's supported by you for the time being? Uh, no, by his own work, actually, in the past. Well, I know... By me, if necessary, but that isn't quite necessary. And there is no, there is no uh, contradiction here in that, in that you help him? No, because, you see, I am in love with him selfishly. It is to my own interest to help him if he ever needed it. I do, would not call that a sacrifice because 
I take selfish pleasure in it. Let me put one specific case to you. Suppose under your system of self-sufficiency, one single corporation were to get a stranglehold on a vital product or a raw, a raw material, uranium, for instance, which might be vital for the national defense and then would refuse to sell it to the government. See, he's trying to corner her again with, with the problems. And, and the remarkable thing is, if somebody suggests something that's new to you, like Leibowitz suggested to me a couple of years ago that we should, the, the taxation should only be voluntary. And I, I said, well, how can you do that? You can't have a country if, if you only get the money that people want to give you. But if you think about it, that's how it's supposed to be. They shouldn't be spending any money we don't want them to be spending. And what we need is a way to stop them from spending money that doesn't exist and spending on things that we don't want or that are inappropriate based on our system of government because what they're doing is separating us from our system of government. So if you compare the fear that you feel when you hear a new idea, like imagine if we didn't require taxes to be paid, but it was a voluntary thing. Based on how well you thought your governments were doing for you, you'd send them a little money. Well, we would certainly be in a position to control them, wouldn't we? And if you compare your fears about that idea and how would we function as a country if we were running on that model, look at how out of control we are right now. $31 trillion of debt in Washington, $150 billion in Connecticut spent simply for the reason of controlling elections by, by uh, dumping a lot of money in the laps of state workers. And that's how, they, that's how Democrats control the state. Then what? Under a free system, no one could acquire a monopoly on anything. So this was about the question, the monopoly question. What if, what if government needed something and, and there was a monopoly controlling that substance? What would happen? Then what? Under a free system, no one could acquire a monopoly on anything. Uh, if you look at economics and economic history, you will discover that all monopolies have been established with government help, with the help of franchises, uh, subsidies, or any kind of government privileges. In free competition, no one could corner the market on a needed product. In free competition, nobody corners the market on a needed product, she says. Now, I don't know the history, and I'm not an economist. But I do believe that if there were a monopoly that was somehow creating a stranglehold because there was this vital substance that nobody could get and everybody needed, that it wouldn't last for long. I'm amazed at how quickly things change in our country. I was telling somebody the other day that um, when I was a kid, I remember somebody, a, a friend of mine got for their birthday a share of Coca-Cola. And I don't remember what the value was, but... Their grandparents, I think, gave them a share of Coca-Cola, and it was awe-inspiring that somebody could own a share of Coca-Cola. It was just this big, dominant, glistening company, this, this uh, symbol of American might and, and the joys of capitalism. And now, who cares about soda? Now we're on to Starbucks. 
we we move really quickly through these different dominant forces. Google, Facebook, Microsoft. These are the big companies of the last 40 years since the personal computer came out. And when was that, 1980? And who came out with the first personal computer? What company was that? Was that IBM? I think it was IBM. Things change fast, especially if you're the one sitting at the top of the mountain and you've, you're hoarding some material that everybody needs. Well, it'll be expensive, yeah. Let's take a quick break and have a little more conversation coming up. 860-522-9842. This is WTIC. Now, back to the Todd Feinberg Show, live from the NJ Diet Studios on WTIC News Talk 1080. WTIC, Friday. Don't forget, last hour we do order up. That's our food hour that we do for the last hour of the week. It's not just the last hour of the day. It's the last one of the week. That's how we wrap up the week with a little food fun. Kurt's calling from Litchfield. Hi, Kurt. Thank you, Todd. Uh, yesterday I was driving to work, and uh, I enjoyed the sunrise special. And there was an accident in North Haven where a car was in flames, and it, uh, the two people were killed, and they weren't identified, and there still haven't been any reported identification. So I went into the office. A lot of the people... Uh, make deliveries in our office, and we keep WTIC on. So the rest of the newscast for the rest of the day, they reported that there was a, that there was an electric car involved. Now, it could mm-hmm. have been a hybrid, but they reported it as an electric car. But for every other newscast up until approximately 4.30 or 5, there was no mention of any crash at all. Now, mm-hmm. there could have been circumstances un- unknown to me, but when they did finally report on it, and it wasn't reported again this morning, but when they did finally report it on it, they just mentioned a fiery crash, nothing about the car. And I just found it kind of interesting that there would be no no reporting on it all day until somewhat around now or 4.30 when I was coming home, and then it was just reported as a crash and the people driving were not identified. It made me feel not very good about the reporting and all the things you think of, like they don't want to report, the, you know, an electric car. And it just, there's no other way you can listen to this. Well, I, the other way you could look at it is that a there are a lot of car crash stories and crime stories that are in the news every day in the state. And I think they're a little overemphasized because they don't require any work on the part of news organizations that are very stripped down compared to how they used to be. You know, newspapers don't really have reporters anymore. And it used to be easy because they did, and they covered those stories. So it might just be that there were no more facts coming out, and the way facts come out now isn't because reporters dig them out. It's because some police department or somebody decides to make a statement well, about yeah, it. I, I knew, you, you know, that was the obvious answer I knew you were going to say. But I'm just saying that it was reported that it was an electric car. Yeah, well, it's a good question. But I, I'm just saying I don't think anybody would not report it because they wanted to protect electric vehicles. When I listen to TIC, which mm-hmm. I fortunately do every day, I li- the one thing I listen to over and over again is 
basically the same reports that the Sunshine Special has, and they come up with the same thing, like, the, you know, the guy uh, the guy that killed this guy, is you know, the same thing, that is point. You know, I knew you were going to say that, but it just goes <laughs> to make you feel that uh, something, that you, I don't think we deal, we, we don't know how powerful that press is, and the, it underlies everything that you try to do, they, they, under, they, yeah. they take it away. Well, I hear you on that, but I, th- I don't believe, as suspicious as I am as, of all power structure things, I would not suspect that it's somebody wanting to protect electric cars, but maybe an initial report said it was an electric car, and then in the all-day of reporting in the newspapers or whatever newspaper might have covered it, they didn't have any more information. So how long are you going to repeat the same story for? Well, that's really they repeated it. They, they took out the electric car part. Mm-hmm. That's where I'm telling you that. I got you. It was just a it was priorly crash. That's all it was. Yep. And it, it sounds exactly. Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you? Why would you leave out the electric car? That's reporting. That's that gets people attention. It does, but the story's old at that point. So really, I like if it were me, if I were the news director, I'd say we don't keep reporting the story if we're not going to get some added value to it. I, because I, it, I will tell you. The, the, the story will be on the Sunshine Special tomorrow morning. I don't know if they will say electric car. Well, so it's by the people, and that's more knowledge. Yeah, so, I'll look into it a little bit. I have to confess, I don't pay a lot of attention to those kinds of uh, stories. So. No, but it's just I don't. I don't either. I'm looking for good news. But if you're going to come up and not and not, I, I told five people about this crash. No, I got you. Uh, I'll see what I can find out for you, Kurt. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app.